0: Welcome to the Grace College Podcast, a ministry of Grace Bible Church located in College Station, Texas. We desire to impact students who will impact the world for Christ. Hope you enjoy the talk and hang around for more after. Uh, You can grab a seat. Uh, Good morning. Uh, I mean, we uh, we've made it right. We are midway through November, which means that the year is over. Like this is it. last six weeks is whatever, like the next month is what it's done. It's done. And this is a great spot to get to. This is a wonderful moment in the course of the semester, in the course of the year, to reach. Uh, And yet, a lot of times what happens is we feel this tension uh, greater than ever in this moment where there are just so many responsibilities, there's so many tests that we can say, there's so many people that we can hang out with, there's so many Christmas parties that are like already underway and you're like, it's not even Thanksgiving, and they're like, shut up drink eggnog. Like, and they're just like, get in it. And man, we, uh, we have so much spinning and this is something that we've been talking about for the last, few weeks, for about the last month, we've looked at this idea that we live in a current society, in a current culture, where we are constantly uh, feeling the weight of responsibilities and relationships, these different elements that are coming at us from all these different directions, and they all are competing for our attention and our affections any given moment of any given day. We are constantly lost and having to figure out, I mean, where am I going to give my time and my energy and my effort? What What's worthy uh, of my energy right now in this moment? And so it's beautiful is that our God knows who we are. He knows what we're going through, and he knew that uh, there would be moments, there would be seasons where people need direction, where people need guidance, where hearts and minds need focus. And so he's given us the book of Philippians, this letter that Paul wrote to a church in Philippi thousands of years ago, and yet holds this beautiful, eternal truth, these wonderful principles that, that guide our heart's in our minds, that, that, that direct where we look, how we live. It shows us what following Jesus is all about. It's this focus for our faith that's so beautiful and so helpful. And it's a focus that many times can look something like this. Kenzie, do you think it's a, a little brother or a little sister you're getting? A brother! A brother? And what do you want to name him? Tarzan. Tarzan. Yeah, I mean... Be able to see it bubble over. (gasps) Oh (gasps) no! What does that mean, Kenzie? It's a sister. It is a sister. Are you upset? Oh, buddy! (laughs) You don't want a sister. But you'll have a little sister. Boys are disgusting. (gasps) True. So true. Eternal truth right there. And man, there is this reality that we often face is is that disappointment uh, exists in our world. This world will disappoint us, right? There is disappointment to be found in any corner of this world. Our siblings' genetic structure will disappoint us, right? That's just... Part of, some of us are still disappointed uh, with the way that that worked out. We have circumstances, situations we'll find ourselves in that are outside of anyone's control, and yet we find ourselves in them, and it's disappointing, it's frustrating, it's difficult. We will find ourselves encountering other people who will disappoint us. The, the things that they say, the things that they do, the choices that they make, it will disappoint us, it will discourage us, it will, it will frustrate us. We will even find ourselves at times disappointing ourselves. Where we find ourselves being our own worst enemy, making decisions, having choices, going, going in certain directions that we look back we're like, man, what was I thinking? Why did I go down that path? Why did I make those decisions? Why would I bring this disappointment and frustration to myself? And all of this is coming out of, all this disappointment is flowing out of essentially the decision that we make to put our confidence or our hope in something that doesn't hold up. This is all just the consequence of misplaced confidence, of expectation that we set that is not met. And so what we see in our lives is that this plays out over and over and over again. Well, we will put our confidence, we will put our hope in other people. We will put our confidence in our roommates. We say, roommates, I trust you with my life, with who I am, with all that I will be. I trust you to put that trash can on the curb on trash day. And if you were like me, you were, you were living in squalor and filth because that trash can would not go out. On trash day. Like it was not happen. That confidence was misplaced. We will find ourselves putting our confidence and our hope in, in ourselves to make a certain grade on a certain test, in a certain project, in a certain class, and we don't get it. right? We will find ourselves having our confidence in another person that we're in a relationship with, our significant other, who then at some point will fail us or who at some point will break up with us. We will put our confidence and our hope in, in a choice that we're making that was just the wrong choice. We will put our hope and confidence in people or ourselves, and and sickness occurs, right? We, We find our own bodies failing us. Plans that we make fall through. Disappointment will come into our lives because of misplaced confidence, which is why this morning what we'll see is Paul speaking to the church in Philippi, speaking to this group of believers, telling them, look, You need to know where to focus, not just your energy, not just your efforts. You need to know where to focus your hope, where to focus your confidence. What are you trusting in ultimately? He's going to look at the Christians in Philippi, and he's going to say, man, you need to make sure that you're putting all of your confidence, all of your hope in the finished work of Jesus Christ, because that's the only confidence that will allow you to rest and the unconditional love of God. It's because otherwise you're going to spend so much time, so much energy, you're going to feel so much disappointment if you're seeking to obtain your own victory, if you're seeking to earn your own acceptance in this world from God or man. says you need to be confident in what Christ has done. See, so he starts off in Philippians 3 and he says, Finally, Right? And he's not wrapping up the whole letter yet. Some of you are like, wait, there's another chapter. He's, he's not wrapping it all up. But instead, this is his kind of introduction in the Greek. This is this idea that you need to use what I'm about to say and apply it to everything uh, else that follows. Okay? So he's kind of essentially telling them, look, this is my main idea. Like, this is the application point. This is the end result of what I'm going to tell you. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice In the Lord, he says, "I'm going to write this to write this again. It's no trouble to me. It's a safeguard for you." He says, "I've told you this before. I'll tell you again. Rejoice in the Lord. Praise God." Says that's what you ultimately need to come down to. We're going to walk this morning through a big chunk of this this chapter, and it's all going to come back to this idea, this end effect. You need to praise God. You need to choose to praise. That's why we start off our worship services with praise, with singing together. Right this is a very intentional move it's not just tradition it's an intentional move that you'll find in many many worship services across western evangelical christian church services mean they follow this uh, this pattern of holding uh, of having these songs that we sing together we have a band and people that lead us in singing we have words on the screen that will tell you how to follow along if you don't have it memorized in your heart of hearts like there is this instruction and this wonderful benefit to praising to choosing to praise the lord to start that way, to end that way, to recognize, hey, ultimately, that's why we're here. And what's, what's really incredible is that God has wired us for this to be a really effective tool in aligning us, not just with himself, but also with one another. There have been these studies on the psychology of singing together, whether it's in a church service uh, or you know at a concert or in a choir or whatever it might be. And what they've found, uh, there's, this early, there's this preliminary investigation that's suggesting that our heart rates might actually sync up. Through that process, through that act of singing together, that we're actually becoming more in tune, more in line with one another as we're singing this shared verse, these shared songs, these shared words. And what's so amazing about this study uh, is that it tells us uh, that group singing can, quote, it can produce satisfying and therapeutic sensations even when the sound produced by the vocal instrument is of mediocre quality. Which some of us are like, preach. Yes, indeed. The most scientific way to say if you're a terrible singer, it's okay. Like, you'll be all right. It still works. You will still find yourself more in line, more in tune with what is going on. And Paul's not saying pray, you know, rejoice in the Lord only through song, but that is one of the ways that we rejoice in the Lord, that we worship our God, that we tell essentially our hearts what to feel. Because ultimately what, what praise does is if we're choosing to praise, what happens is it will change our perspective. It's our minds taking hold of our thoughts, taking hold of our emotions, and directing them intentionally. We see this throughout the Psalms, over and over and over again. In Psalm 42, the psalmist says, why are you depressed, oh my soul? Right? He's looking inward, he's examining his heart, he's examining the seat of his emotion. He says, I'm depressed, I'm upset. He says, Why? Wait for God. He's speaking to himself. He's not talking to this audience. He's speaking to himself. He says, hey, I need to just wait. I will again give thanks to my God for his saving intervention. He says, I know what's true. And even though I don't feel that God is on my side, even though I don't feel that I have hope in the midst of this struggle, in the midst of this turmoil, he says, I know it's true. And I'm going to tell my heart what to believe. I'm going to choose to praise, and it's going to change my perspective worshiping our God cannot occupy the same space as being frustrated or distraught. They can't, it's going to push one or the other out. Some of us even, we, we approached this morning, we came in, and the first couple of songs were like, man, I don't know. I'm not really on board. Maybe it took us a little bit of time. Some of us maybe are still not there. We were even here in the room. and We're singing these songs. We're hearing them sung. And we're like, man, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm not quite there. Why? Because it is so difficult, it is impossible for worship and frustration to occupy the same space. And if you're letting one push out the other, that's just that's just the way it is. And Paul says you need to choose to praise. You need to choose to rejoice in the Lord, because this is gonna be a safeguard for you in light of the inevitable issues and problems that will arise. He says, Because there's people, you need to beware that there are dogs, that there's evil workers. But there's these people who are mutilating the flesh that are coming at you. These people that are bringing, essentially, a false confidence, are preaching a false confidence in your midst. You see, Paul is referring right here specifically to a group called the Judaizers. They're this group of people who uh, were pretty prevalent in this day where they saw what Jesus did. They saw what Jesus said. They were on board. They're like, yeah, man, Jesus, like, he, you know, he said this stuff. He did this stuff. It's really great. He died for He's the Messiah. Awesome. But what they didn't buy into was Jesus telling everyone that he was the way and the truth and the life. They didn't buy into the fact that he said, hey, all you need is me. If you call on my name, you'll be saved. They didn't buy into that. Instead, they said, okay, yeah, Jesus is really good. But to set yourself up for the gift of life that he's going to give you, you have to still become a Jew. You still have to convert to Judaism. In other words, you have to place yourself under the Mosaic law, under these commandments and these directives that we've been given, that we've been following for hundreds and hundreds of years, for all these generations. To say to You have to go through this process of becoming a Jew in order to be saved. They were preaching a salvation by faith plus works. And Paul's saying, man, this is way, way, way off. And he comes at them hard. I mean, he comes at them strong. He calls them dogs. It's like, you dogs, right? But this is very intentional because what was happening is in that day and age, the, the Jews that for hundreds of years, they'd looked at the Gentiles, in other words, the non-Jews. And they, one of their derogatory terms that they would use in describing these non Israelites, these non Jews, these people that weren't of God's chosen people, they called them dogs. They said, Oh, you know, and it's not like the, oh, like Mr. Fluffy Bottom. Like, it's the it's a, it's a dog in the sense that like, they, they were gross and, like, they were scavengers. They lived, like, in the wilderness. Like they're, like, wolves and stuff. You know, like, it's bad dogs. And so they would say, Man, like, look at these people. Ah, these dogs, right? These, these vermin, these useless individuals. And Paul, what he does is he flips it on them. He says, you know what, actually, these people that are preaching this false gospel, these evil workers, because in other words, they're saying, hey, there's these good works that you need to perform in order to achieve God's acceptance, in order to earn God's love. He says, this is an evil work. This is not good. He says, they've become the the, the twisted, useless individuals that they think Gentiles are. He says, then what they're doing is they're mutilating the flesh. And he's using this play on words, he's using this, this word play, this pun almost, where he's taking the term for circumcision, this, this, this sign of this mark of being in the, in the family of God, of being part of his chosen people. God said, hey, here's one of the ways you, can, you physically mark yourself. You physically will, will show yourself to be one of my people. This kind of outward representation of an inward reality, of an inward a, a positioning. Paul takes that word and he twists it just a little bit. Where circumcision is this idea of, you know, there's precision. It's very precise. It needs to be. And he's saying what they're doing is they're just kind of they're just kind of hacking away, like willy-nilly, uh, which, without going into too much detail, is bad. Like, that's not a good thing. Like, that's, Paul's saying what they've done is they've twisted the commands of God. They've twisted his words. They're misusing them, and they're causing destruction. They're mutilating the flesh. They, they, they have completely abandoned what is true and, and they're supplanting, they're, they're using their own views of righteousness and love and acceptance. They are creating their own gospel. And he says, this isn't true. This is a false confidence. He says, you can't trust in your own ability. He says, that's, that's why Jesus came. He came to do what we could not do. He came to live the life that we could not live. He came to die the death that we deserved, because only he could be that perfect sacrifice. He says, we have already been chosen through his life, through his death, through his resurrection, through his faithfulness, we already are the circumcision. He's saying, we have been marked, we have been chosen. He says, we're already there. He says, the ones who worship by the Spirit of God, the ones who exult in Christ Jesus, the ones who do not rely on human credentials... He says, we don't do that. He says, you know what? If we did, mine are pretty significant. He says, if someone thinks he has good reason to put confidence in in human credentials, he says, man, I have more. I have more reason to boast. I I could one-up that dude all day, every day. He says, if you are really trusting in what you can accomplish and what you can do in and of yourself, if you are trying to live for your own victory instead of living from the victory that Christ has already had, that he's already gained, that he's already achieved. He says, if you are trying to somehow uh, obtain the love of God instead of simply accepting the gift of love that he's offered by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, says, if you're doing that, he says, you are barking up the wrong tree. You're running down the wrong path. He says, and I've done that. He's about to list off, he's going to go into detail on how he has all these incredible qualities. He actually, he lines up seven qualities. He uses, he's speaking to these people who are invested in Judaism. And so he's using these Judaic terms and, and methods where he says, I've got seven things. It's this perfect holy number. They would see seven as complete. It was the godly number. And so he says, I've got all these qualities, some of which I've just been given by God. I've just inherited these things. Some of this is just my privilege of birth. And then there's going to be three at the end that he says, but these are things that I've performed. These are things I've earned. These are things that I've achieved that were not just handed to me. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. Circumcised on the eighth day. And then I promise. This is the last time we're talking about circumcision. But he says, look. In other words, I was born into this. He says This is something that I, I just came right from the get-go. Right, I, I, I didn't convert. Right, if he had been converted, uh, if he had kind of chosen Judaism, uh, it would have happened later in life. If he had been part of a different bloodline, if he had come through Ishmael or someone else, uh, there he would have had to wait an extended period of time before he could have gone through this rite. And and yet he says, "I was circumcised on the eighth day. I, I'm 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 born into this. Right, I, I had no choice. Right from the get-go, I'm a part of this community. I'm a part of this family. I, in other words, drool maroon and white." Again, just the most ridiculous. Even as I was looking this up, even as I Googled maroon and white, there are way too many examples of way too many articles of clothing, like adult clothing, that still say this. I hope Hunter is a baby. I hope desperately that he's a baby. But I don't know. I don't know. But it's this idea that, yeah, you are born into it's just It's just part of who you are. It's part of where you begin. Paul says, I was born into this. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was, I, I was from the people of Israel. I'm, I'm from the people. Of Israel. This is part of who I am. I'm I, I'm I'm born and bred. I'm OG Jew. That's what he's saying. I am OG Jew. Uh, if that works, I don't know. And he says that's where I'm from. That's what I'm about. He says not only that. I am from the tribe of Benjamin. In other words, it's this, this special tribe, this tribe that still had track, uh, they had tracked their lineage. A lot of the tribes had lost a lot of their, what, who they knew, like where they were from and where they were going uh, through the different exiles that Israel experienced. And yet Benjamin, they they kept the record books. They knew who was who. And Paul says, I'm from this tribe. I'm from this wonderful tribe that was an early favorite. One of the favorites of, of Jacob, who then became Israel. One of his favorite uh, sons was Benjamin, started this tribe. He says, not only that, he says, but this is, This is the one tribe that stuck with King David when all the rest of them wanted to rebel with Absalom, one of David's sons, to take over the kingdom. Benjamin stayed true. They stuck it out with David. Paul says, man, I'm a part of this kind of best of the best, right? He says, I'm a part of this. I have this rich heritage. You couldn't start off any better than me. I've got this deep line of winners, right? I come from a line of winners. It'd be like if you had that grandfather who went to A&M, Class of, you know, 1830, and he's got, which is before it started, but whatever, <laughs> he's got that Aggie ring. You've seen it. You've seen those, that Aggie ring that's just like a lump of yellow. You can't even, like, see anything on him. It's just just one big blob because he's one of so long and, like, scrapes it on the driveway or something, and he wears it behind his wedding ring, right, because he's part of some sort of secret cabal that runs Texas A&M. But we see this idea that, man, you can come from really rich stock. Paul says, I'm from the best of the best. Man, I mean, I've got this true line. I'm the Hebrew of Hebrews. But he's saying, man, I was committed. To, he's committed to the Hebrew language. That's part of it. A lot of Jews at this time, they were abandoning Hebrew. They were pursuing Greek, this kind of common tongue. Like, man, Hebrew's old. It's outdated. He says, man, I'm, I'm committed to this. I can speak this. I know this. I can study this. I read scripture in the original language. Not only that, but we would find out in Acts 22 is that he studied under Gamaliel, right? the elf lord empowered by... Sor- no, like he's <laughs> Gamaliel, who sounds like an elven lord and yet was this leading Pharisee, this leading scholar of his time, this preeminent guy, this preeminent God-fearing man who was the direct mentor and teacher and counselor for Paul. Paul says, man, I'm the Hebrew of Hebrews. I've committed myself to this life. I lived according to the law as a Pharisee. I answered the highest call that you could receive to, to commit myself to following the Lord and following his law. That's what Pharisees were all about. They gave their lives to God and his commands. It'd be like you saying, I'm, I'm not just an Aggie. I'm a yell leader, right? I've given of my life. I wear overalls for, for goodness sake. Why? to honor the tradition, right? to be a part of the something there, to commit my life to go to every sporting event always, forever, no matter what. That is a high calling. And Paul says, not only was I a Pharisee, not only was I a yell leader of the Jews, but I was in my zeal for God. I persecuted the church. In other words, he says, uh, when I saw heresy, right, Jews, they saw the church as heresy. They saw Jesus as a false messiah, and he says, I persecuted them. I fought for our team. I fought for what we believe. I pushed back on these false teachers, this this false preaching. Right, I'm a yell leader who just straight up like punches other mascots. So I'm like, hey, not in my field or whatever. Like you just. <laughs> He says, not only that, but according to the righteousness stipulated in the law, I was blameless, meaning he followed every single law. He wasn't just lip service. He says, man, my my bark had bite. Like I followed through on these different ideas that I was preaching. I practiced what I preached. I I was that yell leader who was punching other mascots, but I had a signed, uh, you know, affidavit from the governor that let me do so. Like I followed the law every step of the way. I had a permit, a punch permit, punchment, if you will. Like I have these things. I was blameless. He says, man, if you want to boast, I will out boast you. He says, but here's the problem. Here's what I found. I lived that life. I tried those things. I went that path. He says, this is what I discovered. Every single one, all of these assets, I have now come to regard as liabilities because of Christ. And he's not just talking about assets, liability, right? Some of our, our business majors are like, oh, yeah, like credits, debits, let's go. Like, let's, let's make it happen. I already have Excel on my phone, ready to go. Paul says this is not just a liability. He says this is not just a loss, right? Some, some translations even say, say it's loss. It's, it's not something that's just, like, useless. He's saying what's, what's happening here in the Greek is he's using this term that would, could it specifically be translated as, as a destructive element, as something uh, that, that essentially is a damage or a disadvantage. In other words, it's not just neutral, it's actually harmful. He says, I see all of these things that I've done, all this stuff, all these ways that I could identify myself, all these ways that I could live my life. He says, I see them all as harmful. He says, I walked that path of trying to live for my own victory, and all I found was that it guaranteed defeat. This is just not worth it. It's not going to pan out. And yet we find ourselves so often getting caught up in that cycle of living for victory, of living for acceptance. And it's brutal. It's brutal because it never ends, right? You're always having to produce. You're always having to prove yourself. Every sports team is only as good as their last season. Every business is only good as their last quarter. Some of us are living from victory to victory, from success to success, and we find ourselves constantly feeling the need to prove ourselves to other people or to ourselves to our parents, to our friends, to our co-workers, to whoever it might be, we are finding ourselves constantly just fretting about, man, am I doing enough? Have I done enough? Am I going to get there? And the reality is that you never get there. There's no finish line. That's the worst part, is that there's no set end to that race. You will constantly be trying to prove and affirm yourself. You're going to be trying to achieve these things, and it never ends. You can always look better. Right, You can go to the gym and you can work on that physique and you can get skinnier or bigger or bulkier or whatever you want, man, but it's never gonna end. You could always do more. You can always earn a little bit more money. That paycheck, that pay stub could be a little bit higher, no matter what. There's this famous example from John D. Rockefeller, the first American billionaire, the self-made man, who was a billionaire in like the early 1900s when like, you would like, work for a year and you'd earn like a nickel. Like He had a, over a billion dollars. It's is amazing. Adjusted for inflation, people are like, this is the richest guy in modern history. And people would ask him, man, how how does that feel? Like, oh, man, that's amazing. That's got to be great, right? And famously, there's one report where they asked him, I mean, what, what would you say was the moment? Like, what was the cap where you really felt satisfied, where you felt like you could stop? They said, what was the point of wealth Where you say, like, man, once I crossed that threshold, I was good. Like, that was actually, that was good. Where's the finish line? And he looked at him and completely non-ironically, very self-aware, told him, just a little bit more. How much wealth do you need? He says, it's always just a little bit more. It's never enough. You can always be a better Christian. Some of us buy into this religiosity where we think, you know, I gotta do these things, say these things, go to these places, and that's what's gonna earn me the love of God, the approval of God, the affirmation of God. But the problem is that, I mean, you could always pray a little bit more. You could always read a little bit more in your scripture, in your Bible. You could always care a little bit more about the issues at hand, about the people around you. You You could always repent a little bit more. From, from a sin or a fault or a failure in your life? Man, if you're trying to run in these hamster wheels, if you're trying to run this treadmill, if you're trying to seek after the self-obtained approval or, or victory or love or acceptance, man, I'm telling you, it never ends. Paul says it's, it's not helpful. In fact, it is actively harmful. I now realize that all of these things, they were liabilities, compared to what? To the far greater value of what? Pleasing Jesus Christ? Pursuing Jesus Christ? Obeying Jesus Christ? No, what's that word? Say it with me. It's, it's the far greater value of what? Say it with me. Knowing Christ Jesus knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things. Indeed, I regard all these other things, all these accomplishments, all these affirmations, this resume that I could print out and shove in your face, it's feces, it's dung, it's waste. He says, all these things I counted as loss that I may gain Christ. Compared to the value of knowing Jesus, all these things fall away. He says, it's knowing Jesus. It's just knowing him. It's just accepting the love that he's offering. It's experiencing. It's not striving for the, 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 the things that he's offering. It's not somehow fighting and scrapping and getting to this point where I can earn the approval of God. He says, it's been given. It's been offered. It's a gift. He says, I just need to know him. Knowing Christ Jesus is the highest value, the greatest thing, the greatest pursuit of my entire life. He says, everything else is nothing. It's waste. Dung, gross. Two weeks ago, my wife and I walked into our daughter's bathroom, my three year old daughter. We walked into her bathroom and it was, it smelled like a corpse, okay? Like just something had died. My soul probably was what it was. That's what I had done. Uh, because it was, it was rough. And we were like, okay, you know, you know we fixed this, no problem. Like, she's sinful, that's okay. Like, we will we will persevere. Uh, and so we kind of, you know, tried to straighten things up, tried to get to the source of the problem, flush the, the toilet, um, and water began to pour out of the bottom, the base of the toilet. Okay, and that's not great. Like, that's probably not, it's not <laughs> ideal. Uh, I don't know about your toilets, but that's not how mine normally work. And so we, we kind of figured, like, okay, maybe the, we traced it back. Or mentally, we traced it back. like, okay, well, a few days before that, uh, our seven-year-old niece had come over. She had brought a friend who was a, just this little dainty seven-year-old girl, uh, and yet somehow had this, like, waste output of, like, a 45-year-old lumberjack, and she had demolished that bathroom. Like, I, I was on the cleanup crew for that one. Ew. And so we were like, okay, it's probably just that, right? Like, something happened. She's, she's got dietary issues and we'll just, we plunge away, we're like, okay, we got this, let's, let's use this stuff and, and flush it again, again, more so water streaming out of the base of this toilet. We're like, okay, that's it, we have to move, we're done, right, like, this is it. <laughs> so we flee, we flee, the. but we turn the water off, we flee the bathroom and we go to our bathroom as part of the cleanup process, we're putting stuff in our toilet, we're trying to flush our toilet and the exact same, suddenly water becomes comes out of the base of our toilet. We're like, what has happened? What curse hath man brought to this home? And so I go on Google, and I'm like, you know, is this like an ancient Bindian burial ground? Like, what's going on? What is going on? Like, what do we do? And I discover through my research, this is like 9 p.m. on a Saturday night. I've discovered through my research that uh, there was probably a blockage. uh, Something was going wrong with our sewer main. You have this one main line under your home that goes to the sewer. And it was obstructed, clearly, because all this, it was just, pfft. And so I called Greg. Greg uh, was this guy who's the local plumber. I didn't know him before two weeks ago, but now I know him, and I love him. Because <laughs> when I called him, I couldn't believe he answered. But he answered the phone, and I called his, the, the company line. He's like, hey, it's Greg. And I was like, hey, great, Greg. And so I explained to him, hey, here's the issue. And he's like, yep, sounds like you got your main line call. He's like, well, here's the thing. I'm sorry. I don't think I can come out tonight. Like Greg, it's 9p.m. on a Saturday. that's fine. I forgive you. You know it's OK. The, love, the mercies of God are new every day." And he said, "Well, here's the thing. He says, "You can't use any water until I come out." I was like, "Oh, Greg. I said, no. I said, Greg, I have two small children. Like, that's, I mean, that's going to be hard. Like, I was like, I mean, I guess. He's like, I can come out tomorrow morning. I to get you done. But you can't, he took quote. He says, you can't potty or shower until I come out there and, fix, and clear this out. or else you might bust the pipe. And I was like, okay, I guess we can do that. He's like, well, but that said, like, there is a way. I said, Greg, what is it? <laughs> he said, you can go in your yard and you can find an overflow pipe. He says, it's going to be this little white pipe that's going to be sticking up in your yard. He says, and if you go out there and you open it up, what will happen is it will divert all of the overflow into your yard instead of into your house. And I said, well, okay, I'm on board. Uh, Let's make it happen. So my wife and I, we went scouring in our yard and we found it. Thanks, George. (laughs) Yeah. It was horrendous. Uh... It was a nightmare because as soon as I was crouched over that pipe, as soon as I was unscrewing this big old PVC, this mysterious pipe that I'd always just assumed, like, I guess it's for hamsters? I don't know. like. But as soon as I began to open it, just, just a wave, oh, I can't, oh, God, just the darkness of our world came and assaulted me so quickly and I had this moment of quiet contemplation where I realized that we, we do, we live in a broken world, where there is, there is destruction in our midst. And there are times in our lives where, honestly, we will go and we will find that pipe. We will see that, maybe it's at your house right now, I don't know, fun tip, let me save you a few bucks, uh, that's what you can do, uh, but... There is this reality, there's these moments in our lives where we look and we see, yeah, there's, there's a lot of brokenness in this world. Right? There's a lot of horrendous, there's, my household produces terror into this world. That's what I discovered about myself two weeks ago and my children, my sweet children. <laughs> they're disgusting. And we see that in our world. One week ago, we see someone step into a church and just open fire. Murder, people, children. And we have to see brokenness in that. Over the past few weeks, we see all of these allegations, all these suddenly new revealed allegations of sexual assault and misconduct and these high-powered, high-prominent figures, these horrific acts that have been going on for decades And are just now coming to light. When we look at these things we can't help we have to recognize that there's brokenness in our world. We have to recognize that there's something wrong. We see it in our world but we see it in ourselves. When we look in scripture we see that all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of the perfection of God. We have to know that we're broken. That we're going to fail. Paul saw that. That's why he says, man, I can run after these things. It's waste. It's feces. It's disgusting. He says, I'm going to be found in him not because of my righteousness derived from the law. He says, it's waste. It's filth. He says, but instead, because I have the righteousness that comes by way of Christ's faithfulness. A righteousness from God that is in fact based on on Christ's faithfulness. He says, I'm going to fail. I know it. He says, and that's why it's so affirming. It's so reassuring. It's so comforting to know that my righteousness, in other words, my right standing with the God of the universe, it's not something that I achieve. It's not something that I secure. It's something that I'm given because of the faithfulness of Christ, because of what he did, because of what he said, because of what he's done. He says, this is why I can have relationship with the God of the universe. This is why I can rest. This is why I can know who I am. Because there's this unconditional gift of love that's being offered by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. He says, this is something that I want to pursue, right? My aim, my goal in life, my mission, it's to know him. It's to experience the power of his resurrection. My whole purpose is to share in his sufferings, to be like him in his death, and to so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. He says, I know that why I'm here, what I'm doing, the hope that I have, the confidence that I'm going to put somewhere with someone or something, is I'm going to put it with Christ. Why? Because I know That what he's done is true because of the power of his resurrection. He says, this is something that I want to experience. Literally in the Greek, the term he's using is this ability to overcome. This ability to overcome obstacle. That's the power he's talking about. He's saying, in other words, I want to experience this ability that he gives, this empowerment that he gives, this equipping that he offers. Jesus Christ died for our sins. Therefore, we can die to them. Jesus died so that we can live. We've been freed for freedom. We're no longer slaves of sin and fear and death. But we're children of God. If we have trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, we've been adopted out of sin and death and destruction. We've been adopted into the family of the Lord Most High. Paul says, this is where I'm going to find my hope. This is where I'm going to place my confidence. This is the identity I'm going to adopt. It's not going to be this resume that I can do. It's not these things that I've accomplished. It's not this lineage that I come from. He says, who I am is I'm a child of God. He says, that's who I am. That's what I'm gonna rejoice in. That's what I'm gonna celebrate. That's what I'm gonna proclaim. That's what I want to experience. He says, I recognize that any hope I put in myself or in what I can do, it's wasted. And yet, so many times we find ourselves, I find myself trying to prove myself over and over and over again. Paul says it just doesn't work. Just doesn't work. That's why we need moments like this. That's why we need letters like the one written to Philippi. That's why we need songs that we sing together. That's why we need friends or family that will speak truth into our lives to remind us of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that we are broken and that we can never fix that brokenness in and of ourselves. But, by the grace of God, He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, live the life that we could not live and die the death that we deserve to be raised again to prove once and for all that he is the way he is the truth he is the life we need to be reminded of that we need to align ourselves with that message that's why we have baptisms that's what i love about baptism it's someone standing up and saying you know what i'm going to align myself with christ this is who i am this is where i'm going this is the demonstration of what I believe, that I'm gonna to die to myself and I'm gonna be raised again to a new life that's been secured by Jesus Christ. And I'd encourage you, if that's something that you haven't experienced, if you've never been baptized as a believer, I mean, we have a, one Sunday every semester where we, we observe baptisms. We get, to, we get to practice this beautiful illustration of this new reality, this new life. And I mean, if that's something you're interested in, uh, we would love to hear from you. Send us a text this week. Send us an email to, to Ross, who's overseeing it. You could also send it to college at Grace House Bible. I mean, let us know. If this is something that you want to be a part of, we're doing it on December 3rd, just a few weeks away. We would love for you to be a part of it. It's one of my favorite things that we, we ever do, is we gather and we worship and we witness story after story of men and women who God grabbed a hold of. He claimed them. He chose them. And he says, I want you, and I've got you, and now I'm going to use you to be my witness to the world. God still calls us to a life of obedience and and, and living in ways that that glorify him, that bring honor to his name, but it's not to obtain our salvation. That's to obtain his love. It's an act of gratitude, of thankfulness. It's the, the, the logical outpouring. Of what we've received, it's lives that don't bring glory and honor to ourselves because of what we can do. It's lives that bring glory and honor to Him because of what He's done and what He continues to do. Paul says that's where our hope is found—the victory that Christ has secured, the promises that He's given us. Praise God! Praise God! That's why, in our services on Sundays, I mean, we end in worship. Again, it's not tradition. It's intentional to redirect our minds, to recognize, hey, this is why we're here. So as we enter into that, we're gonna sing one more song this morning and, and I want us to reflect for a moment before we get there, before we begin to sing the truths and the praise and the, the reality of who our God is and what he's done for us. We can pause and take a moment to reflect on, man, God, what are you calling me to? God, God where is it that I'm, I'm living for <laughs> affirmation? I'm living for acceptance. Instead of living from the acceptance that you've already given me. God, where is it that I'm trying to please you? Where am I trying to please other people? Where am I putting false confidence in, in the things of this world or in myself? God, where is it that I'm I'm failing to really trust you, who you are, what you've told me? So let's go before the Lord. Let's ask Him to reveal that in our hearts right now. God, we just are grateful that you've given us the gift of worship and of prayer. God, that you hear our songs, that you're pleased by them. God, that's a that's a beautiful thing. And God, the fact that you you hear our, our requests. God, you hear the things that we say. God, it's it's a what a what an incredible gift. And, and God, we just we asked that we wouldn't overlook that. We wouldn't take that for granted. God, we we want this moment to to be one where you are really rooting out. The, the brokenness in our, in our lives. If you would take a moment right now and just pray, a- ask God to, to stir in your heart, a- ask the Holy Spirit to bring conviction to where you're trying to prove yourself. Either you're, you're proving yourself to yourself or to other people or to God, just ask God, say, Lord, convict me. Where is it that I'm, I'm running after this, this false hope of self-obtained acceptance. Ask Him to bring that to mind. If you would take a moment now and ask Him, say, God, strengthen me where I'm weak. Lord, help me flee from that temptation. God, there's nothing in this world that I need to fear. You've overcome it. God, there's no temptation that's going to hit my life that's too great, to overcome God, you've given me this promise, Lord, I can experience the power of your resurrection. So ask God to, to just move, to strengthen you. Maybe it's through a conversation you have or time, more time later this week that you spend with Him, or to God, I, I want you to, to refocus my hope, refocus my confidence. God re, refocus the, the time and energy that I'm spending running after my own little race. let me instead experience the love that you've offered through Jesus Christ. And God, let me just freely extend that to the people around me to look out rather than in. Ask him to empower you to move in that way right now.